With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Radio show on this May 21st, 2017. Um, EJ, I'm along with Steve Beats there to recap what's been going on in the world of the Mets over the past week. And we've seen it all. We've seen the good. We've seen the bad. And much like today, we have seen the very ugly. Uh, that being said, I don't know how much more ugliness we will be seeing out of Mr. Tommy Malone after his performance today. Uh, it's what we've kind of been saying a lot over the past couple of weeks about this pitching staff it's it comes down to it yet once again they got to get healthy and they got to get healthy real soon jb oh yeah so i guess we, we start with today yep we got you okay. i guess we start with today today's game i mean it feels like we are a skipping record here jb it feels like every sunday we're getting on here and we're saying well they went two out of three but unfortunately, this situation that occurred on the Sunday part of the of the series is just completely soul-crushing. Today being just Tommy Malone getting his brains bashed in, uh, another horrible performance by Hansel Robles, and uh, a game where you did score some runs and it was just nowhere near enough because you're getting shelled left and right. And it just seems like we're getting on here every Sunday night going, oh, well, we should be feeling good that they took two or three, but whether it's uh, injury news or whether it's because they just had – a completely deflating loss, you just can't really feel great about taking two out of three from this series. No, I mean, that's the thing, you know, with these, these fill-in pitchers, I mean, nobody expected Tommy Malone to come in and be Noah Syndergaard. I, I think if you did, uh, you know, whatever you're taking is illegal, stop and seek help. Um, but sure. the, uh, the, the reality of it is that the, the goal for these guys is to keep the team in the game. I think this team has proven it can score some runs, even with various different um, cavalcades of lineups. Even today's lineup managed to score five runs. Five runs should be enough to win a ball game on most days. But when you give up a five spot before the first out is even made, and then you proceed to give up a few more the next inning, you literally give your team no chance whatsoever to win. Now, you know, the the funny thing is, is, you know, you have all these different excuses. I mean, Sundays have been a real, a real pain for the Mets, especially in the first inning. Uh, I was listening to Howie earlier, and he was something along the lines of the last six or seven uh, Sundays looked like four runs, four runs, five runs, one run, four runs, five runs for the uh, first inning of Met baseball, and that's against them. Those are not ways to win ball games. He, he mentioned, and I need to do some research on this, that uh, this seems to be a little bit baseball-wide. But if it is, I, I think I have an explanation for why this is going so poorly right now on Sunday specifically when the Mets go out there and look utterly lethargic. It's a problem that we've talked about throughout baseball. 
What are there none of in sat- on Saturdays these days? Day games. Day games. Exactly. Yep. And I think that is compounding. And Sunday's always been that day where, you know, back in the day, that, that's when they popped the greenies. Uh, you know, and nowadays it's when they, you know, they're down in the Red Bulls and all of that type stuff to kind of get up for the game. But when you're playing, that's after playing a day game. Playing a night game is another story altogether. I, I did think it was funny. I saw a couple of people heavily critical of uh, Terry starting Kevin Ploiecki today. It's like, yeah, because you want to start that 33-year-old catcher uh, day after a night game. That's a way not to break him down. Uh, but overall, I mean, I can't complain about how the Mets played. Now, how the Mets pitched is another story. The highlight by far, obviously, is Paul Seawald, uh, who continues <laughs> continues to look fantastic out of that bullpen and seems to be the rock they've been looking for. The problem is he's surrounded by silly putty. Yeah, and the question is, if you do go ahead and make the move and, and throw him into some type of a starting role, or even if it's a, a brief period of time, you don't know if he would be able to maintain that success having to stretch out a bit. But, you know, it's interesting, going back to you talking about the remarkable being outscored on Sundays, uh, the, uh, the, the Twitter account Good Fundies actually tweeted out before the game, and I've now since updated it. On the first Sunday of this baseball season, the Mets beat Marlins 5-2, they have now been outscored 63-24 to 24 on every Sunday since and have lost every one of those games. That is just an incredible number that, for some, some odd reason, this day of the week is just not the Mets. I mean, they, they've angered some type of baseball gods, apparently, because Sunday is starting to feel like a day of rest for them because they might as well not even go out there at this point. But you're right, Stewart is uh, – He's been looking good. You said 60, run that way, 63 to what? 24. So that's, uh, what, a 39 run differential? Yep. The Mets <laughs> currently on the season. You never win in bad games that way. The Mets currently on the season have a t- negative 27 different run differential. <laughs> Which means if you put the rest of the week out there, they are a positive 12 which they'd be the only other positive next to the Nationals if you take Sundays out of it. That is amazing. I'm going to tweet that out later because that really is an amazing factor. That You're right. Yeah, they would be positive, but they would definitely be probably right up there with the Nats in the division lead. And, and as I pointed out to someone earlier today, if you look at the stats, since Adam Eaton went down against the Mets, was at uh, like April 28th or so, I think it was their 27th, 28th in there. The Nationals are actually a below 500 team. They're a below 500 yes. team without a closer. Sound familiar? You know, it's, it's amazing because if you look at it just statistically and you don't take the injuries into account, they have had a pretty nasty day, whereas the Mets have actually had, from a, from a, aside from the seven-game losing streak on the road, unfortunately, but up to that point, the Mets were actually the ones having a very good day in comparison in winning multiple series in a row. And then, of course, <laughs> then they go to Milwaukee, and that, that pretty much felt like the wheels just falling completely off the bus at this point. Yeah, it, it's the, the one thing I, I will say, as I said this in 2015, I'm going to say this, albeit really early, May 21st in 2017, if the Mets are to make the playoffs this year by some miracle, and uh, – to point to miracles going into today's action, the Mets had the identical record that they did in 1969. So uh, thanks to Greg Prince for that factoid. 
Um, not not projecting that similar miracle, but it certainly shows that you can come back from this. Um, but if the Mets are to make the playoffs, the road again is through the division, not the wild card. Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, I agree with you in full there. That I kind of feel like, and I, I hate admitting it, but I feel like you've got to track down these nationals while they're hurting, and you've got to got to close the gap between them if you want to have any shot. Because I definitely feel like. I, I, heard, I think Greg Prince tweeted it out the other day, like what the Mets would have to go from here on to get to 90 wins. And the number was just, it was foolish. Uh, to, to even assume 85 at this point would take a hero's effort. You basically have to get the everybody back starting now and, and everybody performing at the, the top level. And I just don't see that happening. So you're right. I mean, the, the wild card will most likely go to a mid to high 80s team, possibly even low 90s. And they're really just functionally there's no way for the Mets to get to that number I don't think I think it is entirely possible and this is keeping in mind that uh, you know right now uh, um, DC has like the fourth most wins in baseball but like I said most of that is they are a 500 team in the month of May they are 100% a 500 team in the month of May and like I said if you count the last couple games of April they're below 500 teams since they lost Adam Eaton so presuming they keep that up uh, presuming they don't pick up a, a closer at the deadline, et cetera, making a lot of presumptions here. Um, I think it is entirely possible that 82 to 85 wins wins the National League East. Yeah, I think you absolutely could be right, bearing in mind also that the Mets, they, they've got a ton of games left with the Mets. So, I mean, that, if, they, if they just keep pace with them and just win your games against them, I know that's uh, no small feat to ask. But if you can start winning games against the Nats and closing that gap a little bit, I agree with you. I think uh, I, if you tell me that 83 games would win this division this year, I can't say that I'm going to argue with you too much about that because I could definitely see that being the case. And that's why my prediction right now on paper, barring in- injuries, and this applies, I mean, especially uh, you know, it also keep an eye on Mr. Duda and how his performance is. The next series with the uh, Nationals begins at home Thursday, June 15th. So just under three and a half weeks from now. My prediction is that's the major league debut of Ahmed Rosario. I could see that. I also could see that definitely, hopefully seeing a second, possibly even a third start for Steven Matz back in the rotation uh, yep. For Seth Lugo back in the rotation. So you should hopefully, while you're not going in there with all your guns ablazing, because of course you won't have Syndergaard, you will have a much more balanced. I don't think we're throwing uh, a tying the tone out there against the Nats at that point in that series. No, I, and that's the thing. And that's why it's like, you know, the, you know, Sandy's very much on record about Ahmed Rosario and Dom Smith saying as soon as they can pitch, they can get called up. Well, what's the two things the Mets should have before June 15th? That's Steven Matz and Seth Lugo back in the rotation, presumably healthy, presumably, uh, yeah, with a couple starts under their belt at that point. That gives Sandy then the freedom to make those call-ups. If Duda is still stinking it up, I think you call up Dom Smith and see what he can do. Personally, I would call him up a little sooner, just because a couple days sooner, because, I mean, to focal point, both of them in that scenario may not be fair. But I think that's when the – if, if not then, that is when that becomes a serious discussion. You know, super two thing all aside. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing both these guys. They're going to play for the Mets this year. They're going to have an impact this year. But at the end of the day, 
the Mets are still scoring runs. Now, you know, no thanks, you know, no thanks to uh, Mr. Duda and, you know, Mr. Reyes has been very much hot and cold. Although I, I, I don't know about you, dude, but as a fan of the Mets, Throughout the, you know, throughout the, uh, obviously for decades, but I mean, you know, the, the glory teams of old, um, looking back, uh, I, I felt like I was watching Jose Reyes 2006 yesterday. Oh, yeah, that's why it was such a bummer to hear that he was tweaked today and had to sit out today because that, yeah, that was some, some vintage Jose creating chaos, uh, multiple hits. He was just, he definitely looked like a shade of his old, old self. And, you know, I feel like we've seen that a couple times since he's returned to the Mets. And that's why I just don't get the people are killing Reyes. They're making it like Reyes hitting 190 is the reason this team is where it is. And yet these are the same people who just look past like three straight years of Duda hitting in 210 for the majority of the season. And, and nobody's killing him. Like I don't get killing Jose Reyes. He has a skill set that the Mets desperately need. They don't have speed. And let's face it, with Cabrera out, you're going to need that defense on the left-hand side, and that's something we've seen far too often when Wilmer Flores is in there, that you don't get a lot of him on the left side. I, I like Flores. I think he's a good utility player, but forcing him into an everyday defensive role is not in the Mets' best interest. So, like it or not, Mets fans, I mean, Jose Reyes is here for a little while. Now, of course, things could change as far as playing time goes once Rosario gets called up, but I'm not as high as you about the likelihood of him being here in June. I feel Sandy, in many ways, when he decides, when the entire fan base basically decides they want something, I think Sandy likes to dig his heels in, defy them, and almost be like, I'll give it to you when I'm ready to give it to you. I think we, we've all seen that. I mean, they discussed sending some Florida to the minors in spring this year. So, whereas everybody in the, in the fandom was sitting here screaming, no, we want Michael Conforto. We want to see if he can bounce back. And he sure as heck has done that. So, I'm not as high about seeing those guys here in June. I kind of had the all-star festivities more targeted for them to maybe just prior or just after for them to get called up. But I do agree with you that they both will get called up eventually, and they both will play significant roles on the Mets' uh, future the rest of the season. What I'm not so sure of is no matter how hard he struggles, and we've seen him go through some miserable stretches, and that's why I'm not convinced, no matter how hard he struggles, if Lucas Duda doesn't lose an ounce of playing time. I mean, we've seen in the past him go through stretches of 5 for 75 at the plate and not lose a second of playing time. So if, uh, if Dom Smith isn't here, I'm not convinced entirely that they'd be willing to sit Duda down and let T.J. Rivera take some days at first base. I just feel like Terry's got some weird type of kinship with Lucas Duda that he just won't ever – there have been so many times over the past few years that Lucas Duda absolutely should have been given multiple days off, not just the, the quick blow of one day, and it never happened. And there were viable options there, and it just never happened. And Lucas Duda just continued to go out there and stink it up until he has that one week of the month where he doesn't go out there and stink it up. It's just who he is, and we're seeing it with Jay Bruce now, too. That home run was really nice to see today because he'd been mired in such a slump. But we've known it from the beginning of the year that there are some streaky guys on this team, none more so than Duda. But given his history of not being sat down during a, a cold streak, I don't see it happening now. Unless, like you said, maybe Dom Smith is here. But I don't see it happening for a T.J. Rivera, which really, it's a, that's a shame. Because I kind of feel like T.J. Rivera, from a, a hitter's perspective, is the second best hitter on this team to Michael Conforto. 
you know, one of the things that was said early on with the Mets was, and you know, of course, this is a, a scenario where Mr. Wright is not amongst the deceased, as it were, uh, but that um, Jose Reyes's role was going to be with this team, that uh, he would be the super sub, if you will, pretty much playing just about every day, uh, alternating between second, shortstop, third, and possibly center field. When um, when we do see Cabrera come back, and that should be here shortly, and you do see you know um, uh, Cespedes come back, and uh, that moves Conforto to center field because Lord knows they're not going to sit Conforto when you're putting up all star numbers. I'm sorry, you just don't. Uh, I know no. there's a few doomsday fans that believe that's what's going to happen, but Curtis Granderson is going to the bench, people. That is the reality of the situation. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think that uh, it gives us a stronger bench. I think uh, actually think Curtis Granderson can still contribute to this team as a non-everyday player. Um, the other guys, I'm not sure how much they contribute as a non-everyday player, but he's a guy I think could. All that to say is, I don't know, we still have a couple weeks before the trade de- deadline, EJ, and I've talked about this team is worth improving. That third base is probably the position you most easily can upgrade this team at, especially when you look at catcher and the fact that Rene Rivera is doing pretty well, which, you know, that could be a ticking time bomb or it just could be, you know, it could be that he's found a new facet of his game at age 33. Um, I think the latter is probably more likely, but I'm enjoying it nonetheless. Um, I don't see what the problem is, is in making Jose Reyes that super sub here when Cabrera comes back and saying, well, Cabrera's going to need a couple of days off a week. Um, Neil Walker clearly needs a day or two off a week. Um, you know, Conforto uh, will probably need to move to left field once or twice a week to give Cespedes some time. Why not say, you know what, until the deadline, let's see what TJ Rivera has. Let's make him the everyday third baseman. Tell me if that's not a bad plan. I, I am 100% on board with that. Now, despite him having a little bit of a dip over the, this past week, and let's face it, the whole team had a bit of a dip the past week, he has proven that no matter what you say about T.J. Rivera, he is going to hit. The kid hits at every level that he's ever played at, and he's hit at the major league level. And I know that it's all about the slugging and OTS and all that, but it's damn nice to have a guy in the lineup who's hitting above 300, a guy you can consistently count on to move a man over if need be, a guy who will make contact when contact is needed, a sack fly, a base hit, something like that, I totally think that he could slot in as a great number two hitter for this team. Uh, having Conforto on him, I mean, we saw it the other night that we opened up, base hit, home run, ding-a-ling, there we go. And we were off and running. I mean, I really, I really think that he should be given an extended look. I feel like he's earned that. I feel like he kind of carried this team offensively into the wildcard game last year. And I think that he's earned the right to, to get an extended look here, especially when, as you said, there really isn't a great option at third base for an everyday third baseman. Flores is certainly not that guy. Reyes, I guess he could be that guy, but I like Jose Reyes. I like what he brings to the table, but I see so much more upside in what TJ Rivera could do offensively than what Jose can do. And that's not taken away from Jose. I still want to see Jose in that lineup. Just let, let him play elsewhere. Like you said, when Cabrera needs a day at short, let him play there. Let him play at second when Walker needs a day. You can still get plenty of at-bats for Jose Reyes and have T.J. Rivera play every day. And I totally think he, he's earned that right. And I think it's something that Terry really needs to, to do sooner rather than later. 
you know, and the thing is, and, and this will probably grind some, some fans the wrong way when I make this comparison, but let's be honest, as far as getting a hit where a hit needs to happen, TJ Rivera reminds me a lot of a certain fellow who used to have a second base who moved on to DC. He just, happens to be right. bit, he just happens to be a little bit better defensively. Okay, a lot better. You're absolutely, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. He is exactly like Murph when, when he needed to get up there and get a smart at bat. That's what TJ Rivera does. When you've got guys around him like Bruce and like Duda, when they are mired in these awful slumps, you need guys who can make contact and can make things happen on the bases. You can't always, we've said it how many times, you can't always rely on the solo home run to make things happen. And T.J. Rivera gives you the option to hopefully clutter up the base pass a little in case one of these guys do run into a fastball and to have smart at-bats. At and like you also said regarding the Murph factor, he's much better defensively too. The kid is good defensively. Thus far, I mean, I had heard that with the knock on him, and I don't get that. I think he plays a solid – he's not gold glover by any standards, but he plays a solid position no matter where you throw him out there. So I'm perfectly comfortable with him in the field. Yeah, absolutely, and that's kind of and that's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I, I'm I'm looking for I mean, reasonable band aids because again, I I think uh, and I, there were a couple fans passing some rumors today about Wright, and I, I put some veracity in them when I hear them. But I, I don't know if you saw any of the footage yesterday of Wright on the bench. He he he, he doesn't look like a happy camper. Things are not yeah, going well yeah, for Dave, him. Yeah, Dave he, just I, looks he looks defeated. And that's, I, mean, I tell you, as a Met fan, as a David Wright fan, that just kills me. But, you know, I, I think, I, you know, I'm wondering, it, it is hard to not wonder if he's accepting what some of us Met fans have already come to accept about him. And, and at the very least, he is not going to play a game in 2017. At the very least. Now, 2018 and beyond, I mean, there's some debate, and, you know, that's up to the doctors and all to decide. Uh, I know Dr. Parekh, uh, you know, indicated he didn't think, you know, mind you, you know, we, we talked to Dr. Parekh, he's an expert. However, you know, always worth noting, he has never personally examined David Wright. So, yep. you know, the, the, um, the reality of it is, though, the Mets have to be thinking about what to do at third base. There's not a third baseman on the market right now. There won't be till about the 10th of July. Um, at that point, you have a three-week window. You figure Cabrera will be back in a week, a week to 10 days is what I'm hearing. Uh, Cespedes could be back by the weekend. Uh, Darno by midweek, um, which you'll see Ploiecki go down. It sounds like Rivera will remain the everyday catcher. Um, Darno is going to have to earn his playing time back. But you know, you have a couple guys that a, a day off. You can absolutely, you know, like we said, you can get the at bats for Jose Reyes. Do you put Flores at, at third? No, I don't think so. Um, do you keep up Reynolds? Definitely not. He's he's AAA for sure. But why not give T.J. Rivera a, a chance? I mean, it seems to me to be the most logical sense. I mean, you know, it's not his best defensive position. But, you know, the other thing is you get a little bit of an idea of what you got. Now, if you've got to go out this offseason and potentially get a permanent third baseman, a permanent catcher, because, again, even if Rene Rivera continues on this pace, he's going to be 34. Um, yeah. The, the the reality of it is that you probably need to look at a proper center field or two. And, um, you know, because at this point, again, we talked about the idea of re-signing Bruce, but I'm not there yet. 
So I'm just imagining at this point you've got Conforto and Wright in an opening in center field, and I don't want to see Ligaris in there as an everyday guy. So you figure you've got to go out there and look as well. Um, you know, you have a situation where you could see, is TJ Rivera part of the solution, or do we have to figure something out? Because if you figure out, hey, this guy can play every day, but he's defensively better at second base, which he is, then you can say, you know, we don't need to spend $15 million a year on Neil Walker. And and replace him adequately. I you know again yeah. I'm not I am not encouraging the Mets to not spend money. Don't think oh my gosh he's got cheap. It's about spending the money wisely, and they've got enough coming off the books to replace the talent. I think if this season has proved anything, I think you also need to go out there and get a veteran starter. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I agree with the the big factor in giving Rivera that playing time is. We, we've said it so many times in the past. What if you think there's a need in the offseason and it turns out you really don't have that need? That is money that can be allocated to absolute glaring holes. And you thought third base was going to be one. What if it isn't? How nice is that to now have that money available to go get some other guys? To, I agree with you totally on center field. I think center field needs to be addressed in the offseason. Um, I mean, Juan Lagares has kind of turned into the second coming of Angel Pagan for us. We thought he was going to be something, and he turned out to be something completely different. And, and that's a bummer because I had really high expectations of where Juan Lagares' career was going to go. And I'm fully in agreement about, at the very least, one veteran starter. Uh, I can sit here and argue with you that you need to, to find one that you can stash in AAA, too, for scenarios like this so you don't have – an Adam Wilk or a, a Tommy Matone having to throw important games for the Mets. And, and they definitely need to kind of re, replenish the system a little bit with the arms that they can go into. And again, I'm saying this on May 21st when we were sitting here in February, kind of joking that, Oh, they have such an abundance of starting pitching. And you see how fast that abundance of starting pitching can go to a depletion of pitching in major league baseball. We're seeing it around the league right now and no more so than with the Mets. I mean, I'm in agreement completely with you on pitching. I mean, the the one area again, it's just it's so hard to stash a pitcher at AAA these days. They don't want it, yeah. and it's yeah. so frustrating. Because if it, I, I think uh, we all noticed uh, this week, Doug Fister, um, who had been a you know somebody the Mets had had their eye on, signed with the Angels of all teams, and uh, you know to get him ready, they sent him to, to um, Inland Empire A ball in the California League. He yeah. ain't gonna be ready for a couple weeks. I mean, that's yep. the thing, you know, and that's, and that's the thing that really grinds me. It's like, I want a guy that, you know, is at most eight days out because he's off turn. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with and that. Instead of a guy that's who has to come I, in and get in. in. But nobody will sign those deals anymore. Yeah, you're right. Well, at the very least, if you can get a guy who you could stash in your bullpen as your long man. And, and yeah. again, that's no, that's no knock on the guys who are doing the job now because they're doing solid jobs. Sewell's been, they're really good in that uh, regard. And I'm hoping the one good thing that comes out of getting our brains beaten in from starting pitching perspective was the Selman looked very good in his two innings coming out of the pen. So hopefully he's going to gain back some of that confidence that he clearly was lacking in his starts earlier this year. And maybe he does become part of this rotation again at some point. I still need to see a couple more really solid outings out of him out of that bullpen before I would uh, people to encourage the Mets to, to put him in the rotation. But uh, I definitely think he at least took steps in the right direction this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing too is, uh, you know, you talk about stretching guys out uh, worth pointing out that um, 
you know, a Met reliever and good friend of the show, Josh Smoker, was sent sent down about two weeks ago uh, when we had some roster shuffles, and uh, he has uh, pitched in two games down at Las Vegas since his send down, both as a starter, which he has not done since 2011, mind you. Um, and my understanding, it's not so much to stretch him out as a potential starter. It's uh, a lot of it's to work on his off change, off speed, you know, change up, off speed type stuff, and to stretch him out, you know, for bullpen stints. But to give you an idea, at eight innings over his two starts, four innings apiece, um, he's given up a one run for a 0.69 ERA, struck out eight and walked two. He's some, given up so four hits, beautiful numbers four right hits there. in eight innings. It's, Great numbers right there, and especially in that environment, even uh, even more so impressive. So the one nice thing is Josh Smoker, who you know obviously we're fans of. I, I think when he finally gets his call up, uh, which let's be honest, with the way the bullpen looked today, could be as soon as Tuesday. He could be back in New York. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's entirely possible. Um, I love the idea that this is a guy that uh, you know you don't worry about when they when Terry inevitably puts him out there for that second inning of work. Yeah, definitely not, as opposed to the guys who are going out there right now, and you're just praying when they're going out for the second inning it doesn't get too bloody. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this game. I, I, was, uh, I was in the car for the early part of the game, and, uh, you know, I'm hearing, uh, you know, Malone just absolutely implode up there on the mound, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, who can go multiple innings today? The Selman went two yesterday, so you don't got that option. And obviously, you know, in the back of my mind, and then, of course, it's like, oh, God, it's going to be Montero. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Malone to Montero, just like they drew it up in the spring. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that was, you know, that's the, uh, that's the formula for a championship right there. And I tell you, one of those <laughs> things that I need to complain to XM, they've got, you know, pre-recorded liners that run during, uh, you know, run during the, the, the games that, uh, you know, identify that you're listening to Sirius XM, they run them at the, you know, over the top of the hour legals, and they'll run them coming out of a break. And, uh, you know, some of them is like, hey, this is David Wright of the New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets baseball on Sirius XM. Or this is Sandy Alderson. And one of them is Mike Mad Dog Russo. <laughs> and he comes on and says, the Mets have pitching, and any time you've got pitching, a championship is within reach. I just want to <laughs> throttle him through the radio. Yeah, I get that. I get because that. Bad dog to be a little it, aggressive. It's, it's so salt in the wound at this point. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Malone's just given up five runs in thirteen pitches, and you got Mad Dog saying that we've got the pitching to to get to the promised land. You're just feeling quite salty at that point. Yeah, it it, it was it was one of those things where it's uh, my touch screen in my car almost became a punch screen, which I, I just knew I couldn't afford <laughs> to replace it, so I didn't. Yeah, I get that completely. I guess, yeah. Mad Dog could definitely be an aggressive voice coming out of your stereo. Oh, even on a normal thing. I mean, even normally. Yeah. I mean, you know. But, uh, you know, so it, it's going to be interesting. You, you, you were listening on radio, so uh, you missed, of course, the only reason I tuned back into this game late was because I knew that Gary and Keith would be getting a little bit punchy. And sure enough, to his credit, Keith has the one of my favorite lines of the season thus far. He just blurts out, Rafael Santana just texted me to tell me the Mets are getting their butts kicked. <laughs> There's just so much randomness there that I didn't even know where to begin breaking that down. <laughs> well, when Rafael Santana tells you you suck, 
Uh, (laughs) You know, I I will say, uh, you know, it's one of those things you you talked about never meet your heroes. Uh, I went to a, in 86, I went to a, a, uh, a signing at a a car dealership in Astoria, I think it was. Um, And there was like eight members of the New York Mets. It was, uh, it was in September. So you had a couple of September call-ups and stuff. Or like Randy Myers was there who, you know, obviously wasn't uh, an, you know an '86 Met, so to speak, but he was up in September like Magadan. Um and you had a couple. Everybody was cool there, except Rafael Santana was the biggest douchebag in the room. <laughs> really? Yes. Now don't get me wrong. There was no, there was no Doc. There was no Dwight. There was no Keith. There was no Lenny. Because let's face it, anytime Lenny's in the room, he's the biggest douche. But um, yeah. It was funny. He just was just kind of taking the baseballs or whatever the kids wanted signed and handing them back without saying a word. And every, all the other players were chatty and talking. And yeah, it was uh, it was one of those things. And it was a big talking point. And you can see this on my Facebook, on my Twitter. Um, that particular year, my face happened to be in the scorebook as a as a ten year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I've seen that. Yep. And so my parents were really big on getting that signed. And we have a couple of them you know, that are put away that are very, have some very special autographs. I'll put it that way. Um, the, um, and so, of course, all the players are like, hey, that's you. I've never signed an autograph on a picture of the other person. And they all, you know, thought that was really cool. Uh, but Santana um, just kind of, looked at, kind of looked around, see if his own picture was there, and just signed it, handed it back. It just was kind of like... I remember saying to my dad, he he he's not very nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah like, coming from the coming from the memorabilia world, I I've encountered a few of those guys, <laughs> Robbie Cano, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's definitely not a pleasant experience for for anyone, for the guy signing, for the people getting stuff signed, or the people working at the signing. It's very it's uncomfortable on all three fronts. Oh yeah, I mean, I and I I went to a signing once back in the day, and it's probably was '86 or '87, um, and, and the lone met there was none other than uh, Mr. Dykstra. Oof, three hours late. Of course, of course, three hours yeah, late, and, and wearing sunglasses the whole time inside the stupid Modells. It tells me hungover. Oh yeah. Yeah, Lenny, he was a douche then, but we accepted him as a douche because he was our douche. But now he's just an all-around, just outright, just a-hole. You know, and it's funny, you know, he'll, he'll occasionally, he tries to, I think he's trying to steal a page out of Jim Brewer's book by uh, posting videos after Met Games. I don't know if you've noticed he's done that a little bit lately. I don't follow him. Yeah, but I don't follow up, they, they wind up retweeted into my, into my timeline, and I've, I've watched maybe 30 seconds of one. And uh, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, Lenny's talking exactly what I'm thinking. And I'm think- thinking, one, he's looking at your tweets. That's why. And two, he could be completely right. I'm still not going to take him seriously because he's Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, yeah. I forget who took him down. Oh, man. Was it, I don't remember if it was Mike and Mike or might have been actually Boomer and Carton. I forget. It's one of the New York talk shows that I don't listen to. But uh, – he called in last week because he had, he wanted to criticize Terry Collins and call for Collins' as firing. And first off, it was a morning radio show, and he sounded wasted. He was completely slurry. But uh, just kind of, he was like real like confrontational. He was trying to pick a fight, 
And it seems like that's kind of his, his M.O. now, is to go on radio shows and try to pick fights with the hosts. And it's just like, that's his entire existence. It was like picking a fight with, I forget which program it was, but he's picking a fight with the host. He's screaming for Terry Collins' head. He's saying what the Mets are doing is wrong. And it's just like, it comes off just very odd, to say the least bit. But if you, you have Sirius XM, if you ever want to hear a great interview where someone gives it back to him, uh, there's a guy, Jason Ellis, out in L.A., and Lenny went oh, yeah. in his studio, so it was a face-to-face uh, interview, and Ellis gave it right back to him. And it, it actually, at one point, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, oh, my God, this is about to turn into a legitimate physical fist fight because I thought Ellis was going to knock Dykstra out. It was, uh, it was a nice little uh, – obviously, Lenny walks out claiming he's the victor, but anybody who listens to the interview, it was very nice to hear Lenny get put in his place. Yeah, I'll have to track that down. I do occasionally listen to Jason Ellis on SiriusXM. I'd not heard that interview. I just hear him constantly kissing Howard Stern's ass. Yeah, he does a lot of that. But if you go into the on-demand section of that channel, the faction, they actually have a separate show called Jason Ellis Interviews. And it it breaks down just the interview portions of of some of his shows. And I'm pretty sure the Lenny one is in there. It's definitely. I, I will make that a point to listen to on my way into work tomorrow. That that's that's yeah, yeah that's to- totally worth it. And Lenny gets taken down, and uh, I, I never thought as a Mets fan I would enjoy hearing Lenny Dykstra get get taken down and dressed down by another man. But I I, I was basically the fly on the wall, and I was I was squealing with glee as I listened to it. Sometimes it's just got to happen, man. It's just got to happen. But uh, <laughs> so getting back to the nice guys, as it were, you know, when we're looking at. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the the downside to, you know, Josh Smoker can come up. I, and I think, like I said, I think you may see that this week, as soon as this week. Um, the uh, the reality is there's still just not much help Las Vegas. You're just going to have to mix and match until you find some stuff. But if you can get somebody like Gaselman into the, in, you know, into the bullpen for any length of time, even Malone, I mean, if, if he could prove himself to be able to, you know, stretch out and be a, three, four, five mop-up guy, I, you know, he could have value to this team. And, and you know, thankfully, uh, uh, Ramirez, I think, Neil Ramirez, our, our latest pickup, yep. uh, you know, looked much better today than he did yesterday. Um, yes. And, you know, mind you, he'd had like a 21-day layoff between appearances. So, yep. you know, I, you know it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I – I think a few people were just kind of like, okay, ready to cut him. And I'm like, no, you, you, you got to give him a little bit more, guys. He, he, he hadn't pitched in weeks. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, uh, that's why people were complaining the other night when uh, Montero wound up in the game. It was like, well, why, why not Ramirez? What happened to Ramirez? And it's like, uh, that's why. That, that, that was yeah. why that didn't happen then. That, that's, that's exactly yeah. why. Um, you know, you just got to ease these guys into these games. So it's, but uh you know, I, I look at you know, I look at this entire situation, and you know, and, and I think Ken Rosenthal was asked about it yesterday. If the you know if the Mets are still positioned to be buyers at the deadline, he believes they are, and I believe they should. Uh, now I say that on May 21st. Ask me again on June 15th, and then ask me again on July 15th. That opinion very well may change. Uh, but one question I want to ask you, EJ. One of the things that you have always said throughout the many years of our friendship into the years of the forum, into the years of the podcast, is that you don't judge a team till Memorial Day. Yep. That well, coming up on Memorial Day, there's, coming up on Memorial Day, there's no show for Memorial Day weekend next week, of course. Um, and I'll ask you again a bit about, about it afterwards. But 
Where do you sit right now? See, I mean, up on my so Because typically we're dealing with injuries around Memorial Day. We've already dealt with injuries with the Mets, but we know, I mean, it's, fun, it's, it's sad to say, but usually they're season-ending. So I kind of know what the team's going to look like, or at least very likely in the, the disabled list think. So aside from Nola, though, yeah, we're banged up like heck, but we've got help on the horizon. So I, it's, it's kind of weird, and I'm not hedging anything, but I really need to wait to Memorial Day simply because this is definitely this week is a definite keep your head above water and possibly even maybe fatten up a little bit. Because you're going against the Padres, who are god-awful, and then you're going against the Pirates, who are themselves four games under 500. So this could be a week where the Mets actually make a little movement on the Nets, hopefully. So if I had to go with my gut right now, I'd say, yes, this is a very flawed team, and I don't see significant help anywhere coming back when it comes to the bullpen, which is a much bigger problem than I thought it was going to be. I mean, granted, losing your closer possibly for the season is always going to hurt a team, but, hey, Washington's not crying any, any spilled tears for us losing our closer. So they're in that same scenario, and I think Addison Reed could be a, a good closer. So as I look at the team heading into this upcoming week, I'm still optimistic, but – I think they're one major injury away from the, the starting pitching to kind of have to start maybe reassessing if they're buyers or sellers at the deadline. But as of right now, if it's me, I still consider them to be buyers. I still consider them to be divisional contenders. And I still think that when the gang gets back healthy, I still think they could have one of the deepest benches in the National League, and they'll still have a very good pitching staff. I just need to see this good pitching staff start to pitch good. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's exactly it. I, I think I'm exactly in the same place as you are. And as I said to a couple people over the weekend, as we've talked about Addison Reed, now this will be my final thought for the week, is that uh, in Addison Reed, you may have a, cl- a flawed closer, but you still have the best closer in the National League East. I totally agree with you, 100%. It remains to be seen what happens at the deadline with the team's uh, in regarding how they're going to handle closing out games, but I totally agree that Reed would be the best of the four right now. Yeah, you're going to need an eighth or ninth inning guy at the deadline if if you're going to compete. But uh, the good news is, so do the other teams. <laughs> yeah, that's a, we're all going to be fighting one another for uh, for whatever the best available that becomes available. But David Robertson, I mean, that's pretty. You know, that's probably the big name you'll hear. Uh, it's like. Uh, <laughs> If I'm the White Sox, I'm like, uh, start uh, rolling up the trucks of prospects. Yeah, yeah, it really is. They they probably will be able to command a king's ransom just from the NL East alone. Yeah, and that's and that's the sad note. As I mentioned before, of course, next weekend, Memorial Day weekend, we'll be taking the weekend off to enjoy with our families and uh, and uh, certainly uh, you know hold in remembrance those who have died and um, helping to gain us the freedom that we enjoy in this country. And we should be back in two weeks. In two or three weeks, we'll have our good friend uh, Rich Catino join us. He'll, of course, talk State of the Mets. Pretty cool book uh, he's got out uh, now, EJ, Press Box Revolution, How Sports Reporting Has Changed Over the Past 30 Years. And this is a guy, he's been through it all. He has seen it all. I'm, I'm really excited about this book. Yeah, that should be a uh, very interesting interview, and I, I can't wait to actually dive into the book a little bit. 
and uh, and reading his writing. He's always, always been a good writer, so uh, look forward to getting him on the on the air with us. Absolutely. And so uh, we'll talk to everybody in two weeks. But until then, hope for uh, some good wins, um, some uh, positives, and uh, maybe just once, maybe just once, we can maybe just go ahead and sweep those Padres. Uh, just once, <laughs> maybe just just once, just yeah, just once would be great. Until next time in two weeks, let's go Mets. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.